Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes! Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, a show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform you choose to follow us on. And of course, guys, what an incredible race that we have just seen and we are about to review and react to. It's the Azerbaijan Grand Prix and often it must be said that Baku certainly does deliver and it certainly did once again. So before we go anywhere else, well done Baku. Once again delivered an absolute brilliant race. And before we get into the major headlines, of course, I am joined once again by my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pye. Courtney, how are you doing this sunny Sunday afternoon? Are you okay? Yeah, a strange dog feeling, really. Um, gone from watching an absolute classic to watching Southgate football. So I've gone from a higher to a little bit of a of a mental low. So I'm sure this episode is going to help me uh, lift my energy again, let's say. Yeah, of course, Euro 2020 in 2021 is quickly upon us. It starts next week. So plenty of us to look forward to if you are following a team in particular at the European Championships of course if you're not and you're a football fan certainly will bring up some excitement but of course we're not here to talk about Euro 2020 or even England for that matter we are here to talk about Formula One and the Azerbaijan Grand Prix and what better place to start Courtney than the eventual winner Sergio Perez getting his first win for Red Bull, his second win of his Formula One career in an equally dramatic fashion. And it must be said, Courtney, even though, as we will discuss the events that eventually unfolded that led to Sergio Perez winning, he very much was a thoroughly deserved winner. Even if the race was boring, Perez would have won the Grand Prix on merit and would have been thoroughly deserved to have done so as well. Yeah, you know what? I'm really, really pleased with Sergio Perez. Um, first of all, he's he had a strong weekend. You know, he's doing one practice sessions, qualifying, so-so. But the race pace was strong. He was unlucky not to lead the race even before Max Verstappen's crash. And I think Sergio Perez has been one of the stories of the season in terms of his improvement. You know, since Monaco, he's been impressive and he's been an integral part of the sort of the change or the, the shift in momentum we've seen in this championship. Yeah, absolutely right. And... Perez, as you've mentioned already, has gone from strength to strength in the last couple of races. He puts together arguably his best performance in Monaco, aided by the strategy from the team. But this weekend, he seemed to go up into another gear, more like the Sergio Perez, I suppose, that we were expecting at Red Bull. He was quick on Friday. He was quick on Saturday practice. You and I tipped him to get pole position in qualifying. Of course, we weren't right in that regard. Um, Charles Leclerc amazingly got pole position for Ferrari but of course we'll talk about that a bit later on but there was no doubt that even though Perez was down what was it I think it was seven or sixth he started the race because of Lando Norris's penalty 
He got a great start, managed to get into the top four early on, and then managed to clear Charles Leclerc eventually as that Ferrari fell down the pecking order and was very much a prominent figure in that battle for the race win, doing the job that Red Bull would have wanted him to do for the team, to be a rear gunner to Max Verstappen. And of course, certain events happened to benefit him and allow him to get that win. But he put in a stellar drive today and nobody can take that away from him. And and unfortunately for Red Bull's rivals, this is the sort of performance and the sort of driving that Red Bull were hoping would come from Perez. And finally, it's paid off in a big, big way for Red Bull with that win today. Yeah, well, to second what you said, really, he's played the perfect role for them today. I mean, he's, his defensive driving against Lewis Hammond was pretty phenomenal. You know, other drivers, we've seen other drivers buckle under that kind of pressure. Like, I, I can't imagine Albon or Gasly during their respective times at Red Bull being able to do the job or be able to take on that sustained pressure that Perez was able to, you know, take on from Lewis. Because he even opened up about after the race, you know, how exhausting it was to keep Lewis behind him. Because Mercedes, let's not forget, Mercedes did bring an engine upgrade to, um, to Baku. So with the long straight and everything, Perez had to get his performance in Sector 2 in particular spot on, which was Red Bull's strong point. So Red Bull were able to pull away from Mercedes, particularly in Sector 2. So... Perez had to nail sector two. You think pretty much every single lap in order to stay ahead of Lewis. And he did that. And I think he's really starting to show Red Bull and the people at the very top what he has to offer the team. Absolutely. And I think it's fair to say that over the course of the weekend, the Red Bull did look the better car between that and the Mercedes. I don't think there was too much in it between them. I think when we talk about ultimate one lap pace, Fair credit to Lewis Hamilton, despite the adversity he and struggles he was having with that car. Anyone who followed practice on Friday and Saturday morning when the Mercedes was in a good condition in Lewis's hands was competitive. It was in the ballpark. It definitely was not struggling in the way that it was over one that pace. Lewis did a brilliant job with Mercedes helping him to get that toe to get onto the front row. That was a fantastic job in qualifying. And that's something we don't, you know, we, we're not surprised to see Lewis do that. You know, I wasn't surprised to see Lewis there, even though I kind of lowballed him a little bit in qualifying, saying he was only going to get in the top five, just about. But, you know, in the race, Courtney, as you said, Sergio Perez had to hold Lewis behind him for such a long period in that race, especially in sector three, where that Mercedes is so, so mighty, miles faster than anything else in that final sector, especially with DRS assistance. And Perez had to nail that middle sector every time. And he did. You know, Lewis got close, but at no point did you feel that Lewis was going to be able to make that overtake unless he went for a banzai move down the inside, which, of course, Lewis was so much on the line at the moment in the championship, can't afford to make those kind of mistakes and take that sort of chance at the moment. But as I said, you know, Perez inheriting the win from stuff from obviously incidents that happened to Max Verstappen and, of course, the era from Lewis Hamilton at the end, which, of course, we will talk about but put together a sensational drive. Um, Courtney, I've got to ask this question now. Now that Perez has won his first race for Red Bull and is starting to put together the sort of drives that not only Red Bull expect, but have been craving in this turbo hybrid era since, since its inception in 2014, do you feel that the summer break, as it's fast approaching the next month or so, will be a key time for Red Bull to make sure they secure Perez's long-term future with the team? Or do you feel that 
perhaps they need to see a little bit more from him as hard as it may be to say, given what he's just done to convince them that he is the right, at least the right number two to support Max Verstappen. Well, I don't think he has to be doing too much more. I mean, you've only got a few more races until the summer break. And recently he's been shown a form to really deserve that seat. I mean, it, form, as we've seen many, many times following this fault, form and incidents can completely turn a driver's season around just like that. But yeah, I think on, on this current form, there's no reason why they can't, they won't hold on to Sergio Perez because at this stage, it's looking more likely that Red Bull are going to win a Constructors' Championship. And I think that's mainly down to Sergio Perez. Mm, absolutely. And the lead now has increased significantly for Red Bull. They are now, I think, 26 points ahead of Mercedes yeah, right. after yeah. that result today. Um, so it's huge for Red Bull. And right now, you'd have to say that given what Red Bull are doing, they have two guys that are able to put together those performances and bring the points in. Whereas a couple of weeks ago, or even a month ago, I should say, it was Mercedes that were doing that. And right now, they're really struggling, not just Hamilton, but Bottas really, really struggling to get a result today. And of course, we'll talk about them in a moment. But let's move on to Max Verstappen, because we could go on about Sergio Perez all day, and I'd absolutely love to, and he deserves a day like today. And hopefully there are more to come. But we do have to move on to one of the big headlines. And as beautiful as a moment as that was for Sergio Perez, cruelly and heartbreakingly at the expense of his teammate Max Verstappen, which of course he rightly acknowledged that today Max Verstappen was once again superb, flawless in his driving and was cruelly robbed by uh, a failure on the car. The left rear tyre obviously exploding randomly and ended up crashing into the wall, which brought out the safety car and eventually the red flag before the end of the race. And I think it's fair to say, Courtney, that today was supposed to be about Max Verstappen, another stellar performance, another race victory, his third of the season it would have been, and increasing his lead to Lewis Hamilton further. I suppose the saving grace for him is that the margin between him and Lewis has not changed, even though we thought it would be in Lewis's favour. With it all being said and all being weighed up, how would you feel Max Verstappen will feel right now? Will he be devastated at the result that not getting that win? Or do you feel that perhaps he's looking at the bigger picture and saying, well, you know what? It's harsh, it's cruel, but I'm still leading the driver's championship. That's the most important thing. If I was in Max Verstappen's position right now, I'd have mixed feelings. I mean, first of all, obviously, stating the obvious, yes, he could have won and increased his lead to quite a healthy margin. But then, yes, he's had the crash, but Lewis hasn't. Lewis has failed to score points as well, so he could have been he could have been walking, he could have been like leading Azerbaijan. Well, it could have possibly been about. I think it's, it could have been fourteen points behind Lewis. Something like that, and yeah. So yeah, so that's you know in, in a tight championship, that's quite that's quite a gap. So things could have been a whole lot worse for him. But at the same time, I think the way that we're seeing the characteristics of these cars, I'm expecting a much stronger Mercedes going into these next few races because we've, we've, we've seen that for whatever reason, the Mercedes really struggles in the sort of traditional street circuit sections of any of, of any circuit. Monaco's now out of the way. Baku's now out, now out of the way. And Singapore's been cancelled. So a lot of the upcoming races should really have Mercedes either even or potentially ahead of Red Bull. Because the 
the Mercedes strength seems to be fast speed corners. So I think Max Verstappen has missed a little bit of an opportunity in that regard. But then at the same time, I'm going to sound painfully cliche here, but these kind of experiences when you're in a tight championship battle will make Max Verstappen a better driver in the future. So even if he fails to win this championship based on this kind of result, it will make him a lot more of a polished driver when it comes to future championship battles because there's no doubt he's going to happen many in the future. Yeah, I mean, strategy-wise, Red Bull did a fantastic job not only to get Max out in front of Lewis in the pit stops, but Perez as well. And and, and Perez rather fortunate given that Lewis was held up by Pierre Gasly, ironically of all people, giving Red Bull a helping hand in that in the pits. But, you know, it just showed that Red Bull clearly had the best overall package. I think we were expecting Mercedes competitively to be stronger than they actually were in Baku. Now, I don't know if that's because perhaps we overestimated how good they were going to be and felt that Monaco was a complete one-off, but it turned out it wasn't. Yes, there were some areas where the Mercedes was strong, particularly in Lewis Hamilton's hands, overtaken in the race, and his great qualifying performance managed to get him into that position. But ultimately, the opportunity for Max Verstappen that was taken away from him could be seen, as you've rightly pointed out, as a missed opportunity for him. Obviously not his fault, You know, things that happened outside of his control kind of robbed him from that very cruelly. But as we're coming up to circuits where Mercedes are expected to be a lot more competitive than they have been in the last couple of weeks of street circuits, could turn the tie back in their favour. That being said, though, right now we're in a dynamic where Max and Lewis, it's still a four-point gap between the two of them. And if you look at Max's performances, he's come first or second in all of the races, with the exception of this one, but we can't blame him for that. He would have won today. If it wasn't for that, he would have won, simple as. In Lewis's case, he's done very, very similar. The first four races, it was the best start he ever had. But the last two, despite the shortcomings that uh, have been befalled him because of issues with the car, etc., he has been far from perfect in those two races and we'll get to him in a moment but what we're starting to see is a shift in this paradigm if you like between Max and Lewis where before we were saying that Lewis is driving faultlessly and any mistakes that are being made are very small ones and he's able to rectify them as he did in Imola for example and get the result and Max Verstappen as well as he was driving was still not getting the performances out that perhaps he felt he could be and in particularly in qualifying and Right now, it seems to have shifted the other way, whereas Max is driving flawlessly and driving like a champion. And it's Lewis, surprisingly, that is making these errors that are starting to cost him. And Courtney, you and I both know, especially in this turbo hybrid era, when Lewis Hamilton is involved, he is usually the guy not making the mistakes and eventually going on to winning world championships. Is this something that should concern Lewis long term? in terms of this championship, or do you feel that this is something he will, as he always often does, rectify this at the earliest opportunity and kind of shift things back in his favour? Well, yeah, it all depends how he reflects over the, the next two weeks because this this next sort of cluster of races is so important for this championship, as I've already said about the characteristics of the two cars. So Mercedes in general, I feel, needed to turn around. Yes, Lewis hasn't been perfect. He's made a high-profile error today. But I just sense that Mercedes are very much flustered by this situation. I think there's always been a bit, bit of, of frustration by the because of the change in regulations. They probably felt that they were targeted specifically. 
you know, and then having the DAS system taken away. And that's why I've had this whole controversy with the flexi rear wings, the back and forth between Toto Wolf and Christian. Well, like, like I think Toto Wolf, for example, is no fault in how great Toto Wolf is. He's, he's an all time Formula One great from a management perspective. But we're seeing a side of Toto Wolf that we haven't seen for a very long time. So he's very flustered. And it seems that the back and forth between Christian Horner is sort of getting underneath his skin. And I just think that Mercedes, look, they've won so many championships. There's, there's no reason for them to, you know, they, they, they could definitely turn it around. But I just think there really needs to be a sort of a reshifting mindset because they seem to be flustered and it's sort of affecting the. Just the sort of the race weekends, they usually like Mercedes, they'd be like flawless on the Friday onwards. They might, might be practice one, they wouldn't be great. They'd just soon get on top of the car, but this season, really struggling to find that setup. And yeah, something's not quite right with Mercedes this season. Yeah, it, it seemed to be going too well. You know, there, there was a time at the start of the season where Mercedes looked like they were on the back foot from pre-season testing. They managed to pick up results by winning in Bahrain, of course, winning in Portimao quite convincingly, and of course, that win in Catalonia brilliantly done from Mercedes but since then they've been very much un-Mercedes like they've struggled as you've mentioned to get on top of the car when practice comes around and they seem to be off the pace we always expect them to pick it up in qualifying in the race and they're absolutely fine or sometimes for whatever reason the calibration impact practice doesn't really reflect Mercedes true pace whatever program they're running the old sandbag jokes if you like but this time around it, it just seems that whatever's going on in Mercedes, whether it's stuff going on in the team, the driver's not feeling confident, Toto Wolf, of course, not feeling as confident, almost to the point now where he's starting to be very bullish and reactionary, especially when Christian Horner's goading him at every opportunity. I mean, Sky F1 and other broadcasters always love to create stories, create controversy, create rifts between the team owners, etc., etc. Now, of course, I don't think for a second that Christian Horner and Total Wolf get locked in a room together and they have a big punch up over everything that gets said. They know the game. You know, they don't take it personally. I mean, we heard comments from Christian Horner regarding to the flexi wings saying Toto needs to shut up about his about this flexi wings because he's going to hurt himself and his own car. And then Toto Wolf responds on Sky F1 by calling him a windbag. Now, it's all it's stupid. It's all silly stuff. It's all like, you know, a couple of people having a pillow fire, whatever. No one cares. It's drama, but we love, you know, it's funny, you know, as fans to hear that you always like to see the team principals get their elbows out a little bit. But what we're seeing at the moment is that Red Bull are starting to do to Mercedes, what Mercedes have been doing to everyone else. And I'm not implying that Mercedes are goading other teams out of championships, etc., or anything like that. Um, what I'm saying is that Red Bull and Christian Horn in particular, very much getting underneath Mercedes and Total Wolf skin. Today, we saw a performance from Perez and Verstappen keeping Hamilton out of the picture as they did impressively today. That is the sort of thing we've seen Mercedes do to Red Bull, to Ferrari, to Williams over the last seven years in this turbo hybrid era. This is the first time I think I've ever seen in this era another team do that to Mercedes and I don't think that's going to be the only time that we'll see that this season so there's definitely a paradigm shift going on here what I'm hoping for is Mercedes as they've often done can find the solutions and find them quick because there is a fear that if they don't this could become a one-team championship and it won't be Mercedes that are going to be that one team at the moment what do you think about that that sort of statement do you feel that that's fair Courtney or do you feel that um, perhaps there is some truth to what I've just said. I think 
maybe I'm, I'm I'm thinking sort of outside the box here, but I've I've a slight feeling that the situation around Valtteri Bottas is really starting to play a part in this championship. We've been discussing this, and obviously people throughout the Formula One community discussing Valtteri Bottas' future for quite a while now, and I think it's becoming quite apparent that there's probably this discussions going on in the background, and Bottas just seemed really out of shape. Even even like he's he's, he's never been able to be on Lewis's level over the course of a season. But it's just the guy just doesn't seem right at the moment, and I and I think this weekend really summed it up. You know, he he, he was a good like part of the team by um, giving Lewis a slipstream in order to get Lewis up up the grid. So it was good for the team in that regard. But generally on the Sundays, he's been awful. I don't know if it comes down to he's just he's mentally drained by constantly trying to keep up with Lewis. Or maybe his mind's thinking about his future because he was down, he was, he was down in the bottom half of the grid for most of the time. And, you know, we've all discussed this at the beginning of the, uh, the, beginning of the season that the second driver is going to play a big role in his championship. And right now we're seeing Sergio Perez at his best, really helping Red Bull. Meanwhile, Valtteri Bottas, is, he's, he's almost hopeless at this stage. And... You look at the future of Mercedes as well. You know, we're, we're talking about George Russell potentially joining. Since that big crash in Im- Imola between Russell and Bottas, even George Russell has been out of sorts. So it just seems to be, even the on the outskirts of the, the main Mercedes family, it just seems to be like a lot of a lot of pressure surrounding the team at the moment. Yeah, I mean, we can't really say much what's going on with Valtteri Bottas at the moment that we haven't already said. Um, there were rumours going out this week. I think it was a Russian commentator, Alexei Popov, I think it was, that claims that George Russell will sign a two-year deal with Mercedes in the summer to take over from Bottas in 2022. Now, again, the rumour mill is always going to put out stories like that. Don't know how true this is. I don't know how credible a source um Alexei Popov is uh, probably about as credible as anyone else involved in Formula One that isn't directly involved in what's going on at the moment. So take that rumour with a pinch of salt at your own risk. But it does seem that there is definitely something going on in the background that is really affecting Bottas's performance. It seemed that the way he drove this weekend, he might have been better off staying in Finland after that after his private jet was held back up for technical reasons and he had to stay back for a couple of hours, do his press conference um, you know, honour those commitments uh, at the airport, you know, and, and he had to fly in late. Of course, I don't know how much that would have affected his preparation. It's not ideal. Um, he didn't lose any running time as a result of it. But as you said, he, he might have been better off there. And I think the restart of the race as well, Courtney, at the very end of the race, summed it up. He was on the fringes of the top 10 and he lost four places off the restart in the first six corners. Now, he struggled in that Mercedes to overtake cars ahead of him, but you can't be doing that. I mean, you're in arguably one of the top two cars on the grid and you've been driving in the most successful team over the last decade. You can't afford to be doing that, even if you're not in the points, just to be. And I saw the replay of it. He was just casually. Dri- like, I felt like I could have done a better job. And, and I'm, a big, yeah, I'm a big fan of Valtteri. But it just seemed like he just didn't want to be there at that point in the race, rather than feel like gear yourself up. You could get some points here if you play your cards right and get a good start. And it didn't work out for him today. It just was nowhere. He seems like a completely beaten man. He seems demoralised. You know, I think 
I reckon he targeted Monaco because he's generally done well there and he knew that he's better on a Saturday. And the way that Monaco turned out, I thought that could have been a, a final blow for him mentally. Let's hope he turns it around. You know, as fans of the sport, for the sake of the championship, let's hope he does turn it around because he's capable of being a, a good second driver. But he does. He seems beaten. And I just think that his performances are really showing that there is something going on behind the scenes. And it's a shame because it could ruin what should be a close championship. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's all going on at the moment at Mercedes. I mean, obviously, Lewis as well, we should mention uh, the error he made, actually, by... And I think I read this right. I think it was Craig Scarborough from Scarbs Tech, if you haven't noticed. He put this out and basically said that Lewis had left the brake magic button on or something like that. Apparently, yeah, right. yeah. it's to use some sort of the hybrid regen to sort of warm up the brakes to keep it on. But mm. he left it on and it caused him to have that incident where he locked his brakes massively into turn one. After getting a great start, it must be said, I thought he was going to nick the race. And then, of course, that happened. Very uncharacteristic. Like It reminded me of um, Rosberg and Hamilton in Spain, where Rosberg had left it on energy-saving mode and obviously caused him to go a lot slower and ended up in going into Lewis. So it's these laps of judgment or moments of you just don't expect that from Lewis Hamilton, but it just kind of culminates everything that's going on at Mercedes where it's just not quite right. And yet the other side at Red Bull, everything seems to be going swimmingly, of course, with the exception of what happened today. We should um, have a quick mention to this incident with Verstappen. Now, of course, the tyre, the left rear tyre failed on him massively. Now, Red Bull said to the FIA on the radio that we saw during the red flag moments that they were very worried about the fact that the tyre showed no signs of delamination or deflation or anything. It just suddenly went and there was no vibrations or anything weird with the tyre on the data that suggests that this was going to happen. So, and it wasn't the first time that this had happened in the race. The same thing happened to Lance Stroll, which of course we'll talk about him a bit afterwards. But um, there seems to be quite a worry here from Pirelli's perspective because this year has been a big year the rule changes that happened which I'm sure a lot of people weren't happy about and wondering why we did that ultimately it was because of what happened at Silverstone for the two Mercedes where they both had issues with their tyres Bottas and of course Lewis having to win the race with three tyres on his car and they obviously wanted to prevent that from happening in the future so they made the cars obviously you know change them so they had less downforce they beefed up the the Pirelli tyres a lot more with the hope that it would help them cope with the loads for this season before they go into the new regs. Unfortunately, today, um, we seem to be a bit of a contrast here because we look at it as fans, as Pirelli really has some questions to answer on this, why this happened. You know, it can happen once as a rare thing, as it did to Stroll, and people will say, yeah, it was bad, but, you know, it can happen at any time. I've seen it happen before. It's not like a big thing. But when it happens to a second driver in the same race, it starts to become a problem. Um, I, I don't know how you see see this, Courtney, because there was a contrast of statements, and I just want to bring this before I mention it to you. Apparently, um, if I'm right, I've got I did make a note of it because someone did tweet this out. Uh, bear with me, I'm just flicking through it. Da, 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 da. Ah, here we go. Right, so I'm just I'm just looking at my phone on here for those of you that aren't watching this on YouTube. But Mario Sola from Pirelli says that their first investigation suggests that debris caused Verstappen and Stroll's blowouts. Um, obviously, they said the full analysis will follow before the final verdict, but he said they also found a cut on Lewis's left rear tyre too, the one that was removed before the restart. So given that Baku is a very dirty circuit, Courtney, 
do you feel that that's an accurate response or that's what's going to come out or do you feel that Pirelli have some questions to answer to because whichever however this investigation finds the cause it does raise questions either for the Baku circuit or for Pirelli how good their tyres are well yeah it, it could well be a track specific issue but I feel Pirelli always have a real dilemma in terms of the balance between the races being entertaining and obviously safety. Safety should be paramount. Let's let's make that clear. But Pirelli have often been criticised for making the tyres too hard. So then obviously the harder the tyres are, the less stops or the less sort of mix-up in strategy you get in the races. So you get more boring races. So then if they do take a risk and make the tyre soft, because I think the compounds were softer than they usual. Were. Yeah. And see, and that's the thing. So they've they've trialed the softer tires and then you get blowouts like this. You know, we've seen it before. You said like Silverstone last year. So it just seems that, you know, obviously their job, their profession is developing the, the best possible tires they, they can. But it's obvious that they can't get that middle ground between making the races entertaining and protecting the drivers or you know, races being completely ruined by tire blowouts because you know, obviously that, that kind of situation. Those, you know, those cars are going at 200 miles per hour. That's probably like one of the, the high, the highest speeds you're going to see all season. You know, and in, on, on, on the street circuit where you've got people like looking out from balconies, you've got stewards. Those situations are potentially lethal. So it's, it's, you have to put safety first, but then you can't have people complaining if the harder tyres are going to affect the races. You know, you, the fans need to make their mind up in that regard. Well, it is worrying when the harder tyres in the in the way that they were run couldn't do anywhere close to the 40 laps that Pirelli suggested mm. they would. And even after Stroll's incident, which was bad enough, Pirelli didn't feel worried or concerned that the same thing was going to happen to somebody else. Ultimately, it did in Max Verstappen, and it worried Red Bull that they had no indication on their sensors that this was going to happen. So it could come down to what Pirelli suggested, that it was debris that caused the incident. but. At the same time, you'd have to argue, well, you guys went with a softer compound compared to what we did in tw- um, before in 2019, obviously with the equivalent. So, you know, it does raise some serious questions. And I think when it comes to safety, safety is paramount in these circumstances. And we can't afford to, you know, risk that or compromise that in any way for whatever reason. If we'd gone, a, not to say that if we'd gone a compound harder, that um, this wouldn't have happened to Max and Stroll. I don't know because I'm I'm not an expert on tyres. I'm really not. But it doesn't look good for them when this happens multiple times in a race. And at the same time, this driver's health and safety, we've got to think about. Forget what happened to Max in terms of the race win. If he loses this championship by uh, you know a certain margin, he might look to this incident and say, yeah, that's what cost me. But ultimately, that's not going to make a blind bit of difference. That's not what the, the issue is. So... As I said, it does leave a bit of a sour taste and almost because of the way the race finished, it kind of, I don't think it helps them, but people, once they sort of sober up from the euphoria of what happened today in terms of the result, then the serious questions are going to be asked on Pirelli if they're not being asked asked at the moment. So, yeah, I I mean, this is kind of why we had the changes last year, Courtney. So mm-hmm. as a fan, I'm a bit worried that when these sorts of things happen, that, who's next you know what do the drivers feel about this because after what happened to Verstappen 
obviously when the red flag come out, um, I think it was Red Bull on the radio to Michael Massey to recommend a red flag instead of a safety car and put f- to allow the drivers to put fresh tyres on just so this didn't happen again. And this was behind a safety car, let alone mm. racing at full speed. So it's not a good sign for Pirelli, all I can say on that one. Um, I, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add on that before we move on. No, I'd say that's pretty much it. But I'm, I'm just concerned that we can have this continuation of fans complaining about races being boring, Pirelli knee-jerk, and then we get high-profile accidents like this and repeat. Because this, this is something that we've been seeing repeatedly over the last decade, at least. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it shouldn't be happening. I mean, we saw a few occasions before with Sebastian Vettel. I think it was in, what, 2017, was it, in Belgium? When he was about to finish yeah, third right. of the last oh, 2015, lap. 2015. 2015. That, that yeah. was one I went to. I was there for that. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. And obviously, yeah, last lap, you um, retired from that race. So, yeah, that's right. He comes second in 2017. I forget that. But, um, yeah. Uh, interesting piece of trivia, actually. Now, whilst we're on the subject, because we're talking about Mercedes briefly, um, obviously this was the first time in 54 races that Hamilton has not finished in the points, which is an incredible record. Um, But with Mercedes, Courtney, did you know it's been 164 races since both Mercedes uh, cars failed to take the checker flag inside the points? The last time that was was back in Austin in 2012 back when it was uh, Michael Schumacher and Nico Rosberg who come in to, uh, it was 13th for 16th respectively. I think Rosberg finished 13th. It's amazing. That is an amazing, amazing stat. So the first time in the turbo hybrid era, Mercedes have not finished in the points. Well, maybe that's something that Mercedes need to remind themselves of when they're sort of getting themselves into a fluster and feeling too, uh, feeling sorry for themselves because the stats show it. They they have the people and they have the mentality to turn the championship around. You know, this just they just need to regroup and go full throttle in France. Yeah, absolutely incredible. But let's move on to the next team. Now, normally those of you that follow this podcast would expect me to talk about Ferrari or McLaren, but I'm not going to talk about them next because I feel like we should change the pecking order because there are some a little bit more deserving today. And let's talk about Aston Martin. Now, of course, the contrasting reasons. It was a great day, but also a bad day. Now, of course, let's start with the great part. Sebastian Vettel coming in second place. And I'll tell you what, Courtney, by fortune or by sheer being in the right place at the right time, Seb, once again, as he did in Monaco, put in an absolutely fantastic drive, despite being 11th on the grid. And he played it brilliantly today. And I'm I'm not going to lie, Courtney, I am absolutely, I'm even more buzzed about Seb being second today than Sergio Perez winning. Of course, I apologize to Perez fans, but this one actually really, really does put a smile on my face. How brilliant is it to see Sebastian Vettel after what he did in Monaco and the start of the season that was a bit of a struggle? Are we starting to see the real Sebastian Vettel back in this Aston Martin? Well, I have to, yeah, I have to say I'm buzzing for him too. You wouldn't have heard me say that 10 years ago, that's for certain. I am, I'm really happy for the guy, you know, particularly after his struggles at Ferrari in that last season. You know, we're just talking about Bottas looking like a beaten man. That's that's the way that we've seen Sebastian Vettel last season. And I think you're right, I think the last couple of races we are, we have been seeing glimpses of the Sebastian Vettel of old. The sort of ability that we know that he has, and hopefully he's recapturing that, that sort of self-belief that he once had. But I must say, at the same time, I expected um, I expected Sebastian Vettel particularly to be strong. You know, 
given how strong they were in Monaco. Um, you know, they might struggle in the coming races, but, you know, his performances in Monaco and obviously in Baku, that should give him the self-belief, you know, to, to pick up as many points as he can for the rest of the season and then see when next season take Aston Martin because they've always been ambitious. It's just they've probably been hurt by these regulations and changes more than anybody else and any other team has. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so, go on, you're no, I was just going to say, Courtney, that we've often said on this podcast that should they bother with this season and focus on next season? But clearly they found something with them, particularly these last two circuits that have combined their ability in the slow speed corners, particularly in Vettel's hands doing a great job and that straight line speed it obviously has with that Mercedes engine. And Vettel was fantastic today. You know, started 11th, worked his way up through the field. Um, was doing well in the top eight, very much a prevalent force in there behind Sonoda, jumped him in the pits and then managed to, you know, battle along with Leclerc and Gasly, keeping them honest, battling for a top four place. Stroll was going very, very long and looked like he might become a factor in that battle before his crash uh, later on. But after the safety car, Seb, lightning reactions, managed to overtake Leclerc, brilliantly done, and then managed to get past Gasly brilliantly as well. And then the rest was said after that restart, managing to get into the top two after what happened to Lewis Hamilton and Verstappen. It is just such a nice feeling to see a driver who I worried we were never going to see on a Formula One podium again or see his better days. And yet today, even better than what happened in Monaco. I was worried Monaco was going to be a novelty, but you know what? It's so nice to see Sebastian Vettel in good spirits and it's so nice to see him so well. Long may that continue. But of course, I think you and I both agree Aston Martin will have to continue to raise their game if they're going to get anywhere near. This could be as good as it gets for them this season. But you know what? I absolutely love to see it. Yeah, well, he has something to take from it. You know, because if, you, if you've just gone like, through a sort of a soulless, uneventful season with Aston Martin, it just probably make you feel a little bit, you know, like, sort of lacking motivation going into next season or so. But he now has something to take from this season. Naturally, it's really giving him an opportunity to stake his claim as a number one driver in that team. Because we saw when, when Charles Leclerc won in Monza, that was a real turning point in his mental battle with Sebastian Vettel. And I just think that this performance, and let's not forget Monaco as well, these last two performances have probably really given the, the engineers, you know, even the management, the team, the, 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 the absolute faith that Sebastian Vettel can lead that team to great results, you know, because these are the type of races where you need leaders to pick up points. And we saw that with Seb. So I reckon this could really lead them onto a positive trajectory for the next season or so. Let's hope it does. Really do. I mean, he had less running than anyone else in pre-season testing. He was already on the back foot. After the incident with Ocon in Bahrain, it just seemed like, oh, here we go. Seb's decline is going to continue. And he just couldn't catch a break. But all of a sudden, we started to see the, the Sebastian Vettel of old really find his way again. And I'm not going to lie, when he was tucked up behind Lewis Hamilton in the top three, I'm thinking, are them two going to do battle again? The Baku, just like the old days, that would be something to see. But of course, you know, the way it happened, it, it happened the way it did. And I'm just so happy for Seb. I really am. Hope that continues for him. And, you know, Aston Martin with Seb at the moment, this could become a real factor in years to come we should also talk about Lance Stroll briefly you know he did a great job in the opening stint very much could have been a factor later on in the race if it weren't for his incident but fortunately he's okay and you know with Lance Stroll it seems to be he's up in his game as well so it's all good things for Aston Martin 
Um, they did drop to sixth in the Constructors' Championship because of AlphaTauri scoring with both cars today. So despite their celebrations for Seb, I don't think they'll care too much, but they did drop a place in the Constructors. Um, but let's move on to AlphaTauri. The next team in our list, Pierre Gasly. Once again, Pierre Gasly, the forgotten man in Formula One. No idea how he can be forgotten, but got on the podium. And again, thoroughly, thoroughly deserved. I've got to say, Courtney, this is one of the most wholesome podiums I think I've seen in this turbo hybrid era. I can't imagine three more likable people being on the podium at the same time in the teams that they drove for, respectively. So it's a really nice feeling to yeah, see. Yeah, the it. only thing... Yeah, the only thing we were missing was uh, George Russell getting the points. I didn't have a cheeky look at the end. I was like, come on, come on. We've had, <laughs> we've had so much joy here. And I was like, oh, George Russell's down. Where did George Russell finish? He's 15th, weren't it? Somewhere like that. Yeah, he had trouble on the restart because he pulled into the pit lane. So I oh, think that's he, right. I think he was last. He went out. All the runners, yeah, as, as about to restart. They're all lining up on the grid and George is crawling into the pits. He had issues in practice where the car cut out. I think he had similar stuff. I'm not quite sure, but... Yeah, another difficult. It seems for George, unfortunately, what more can you do? He's nailing it in qualifying, but the race, the car is dreadful and there's nothing he can do about it. So hopefully better times are ahead for George. But I'm with you. I don't think that's going to happen unless he ends no, up in a Mercedes next no, season. I've lost faith in that one. Yeah, but let's hope for better days for Williams. But yes, Pierre Gasly, what a drive from him. And, you know... All weekend long, it seemed that Pierre, he'd found one of his circuits that he was really, really strong at. He was strong in practice. In, in obviously, FP3, he was fastest of everyone. And everyone thought, hello, this is quite interesting here. Pierre Gasly, could he be a factor in the race? And he qualified brilliantly, managed to get into, I think it was the top four, ahead of Carlos Sainz. Yeah, that's right. Ferrari did a great job. And he got ahead of Leclerc in the pit stops. I don't know how that happened. How he managed to overcut the Ferrari, but I know Baku is one of those tracks where you can overcut um, other drivers depending on the circumstances. He did that and his pace was solid. And in the restart, there was a huge threat from the Ferrari behind him. Leclerc, of course, overtook him briefly down the back straight towards the end, but Gazi never gave it up, lunged down the inside, took third place back, and he managed to hold on and get a well deserved podium. So a brilliant drive from Pierre Gasly. Courtney. I say this with such glee, but I'm bittersweet on Pierre Gasly at the moment because I'm worried that despite the brilliant performances that he's putting in this season, and again, today it was a real, real showcase of what this guy can do. I'm worried that there isn't really any seats available for him unless Alpha Tauri decide to keep him on another year. And I don't really know if Red Bull will allow that. What do you think uh, on this situation? Well, I think there's, there's several problems here. I think the first one is obviously the AlphaTauri situation. The second one, I feel the, the move that would make the most sense for him would be Alpine. But they're not going to get rid of Fernando Alonso after one season. And there was this well-known thing where him and Ocon don't get on on a personal level. So that move isn't very likely. And also, the other scenario is with Valtteri Bottas moving, the likelihood is he's going to end up at a midfield team. So that's even more competition for a driver of Pierre Gasly's calibre. So unless he unless he somehow becomes a, a runner for the Mercedes team, which, I've, which I think would be, I reckon he could well be ready for a move to a big team again. But yeah, I, I just think he's, his options are limited. But I have to say, I think alongside the likes of 
Lando Norris, in terms of consistency, he's been one of the drivers of the season so far. Yeah, he has been. And, and this has been a great day for AlphaTauri in general. I mean, Yuki Tsunoda put in a great performance today. Easily, exp- very explicit on the radio, as always, told his engineer to yeah. shut up. Yeah. Um, as you, you know, it's, it's funny with Yuki Tsunoda. You wouldn't expect this from someone like Yuki. And I'm sure everyone that knows Yuki Tsunoda probably has a lot of good things to say about him. And I'm, you know, absolutely convinced he's a great guy. Um, but he put together a great performance today, Sonoda. And it should be said, it should be praised as well, that this was by far his best performance this season. Finishing in the top seven, getting the points, and of course, more critically, getting into that position in the Constructors' Championship for the team to get him ahead of Aston Martin, which could prove to be so huge. Given that the battle for best of the best of the rest, if you like, after McLaren, Ferrari, Red Bull and Mercedes, it seems that it's going to be a battle between Alpine, Aston and AlphaTauri. So those points they've got today are going to be critical for them. I'm worried about Gasly's future. And I say this, as I said, we've already talked about this just a second ago, but I'm worried because I would like to see him stay in the team. I feel like that's his best option. Alpine, the door there looks like it's going to be closed when Ocon signs a new deal. If Russell goes to Mercedes, I don't see why Williams wouldn't take Bottas back. I don't think there's many options for Bottas if, uh, if that happens. I feel like, you know, he's in the same boat. He may just have to take that seat to stay in the sport. And it might be better for him at Williams next season, depending on what they do with these new regs. But you've also got drivers in F2, both of them winning races this week. And oh, you had Liam Lawson, not Liam Lawson, doing a great stuff in the F2 championship. It was a bit unfortunate with races this weekend, I should say. And Yuri Vips, who won the feature race today, and he also won the sprint race yesterday. So there's plenty of options for Red Bull going forward. And it could be that the AlphaTauri seat next season gets filled by one of those two guys rather than Pierre Gasly, which would be a true shame. I mean, I'd almost want to create a Formula One team just so Pierre Gasly has a seat next season. I don't know about you guys, but, yeah, I, you know. Maybe maybe he needs to go into another series, even if it's just for a season or so, and sort of, you know, keep himself in the limelight. You know, we've seen, we've seen other drivers do it. You know, leave for a couple of seasons. Um, but it's tough, isn't it? Once you leave Formula One, it's just tough to keep that momentum going, and it's also tough to stay. It's tough to stay in the sort of the within the eyes of the Formula One community because you get all these young, exciting drivers coming through, and there's only 26. I think Pierre Gasly's could possibly one be one of the victims of the fact that we only have 10 teams at the moment. Because mm. if we had a couple more, I think I think, I think 24, 24 seats is the ideal number. But it's just unfortunate right now, obviously, with the financial situation. I don't think we're going to be seeing any teams join it anytime soon. But let's hope he stays. Yeah, I certainly hope so. I mean, I think he deserves to be. He's a fantastic driver and I feel like an opportunity will open up for him. But he just needs to stick around, you know, like Esteban Ocon did. He had to take a year out, but he found his chance back and he's doing rather well. So let's hope it works out for Pierre. Um, Let's move on to Ferrari. Um, it's a strange one for Ferrari because as a fan, I, I, I'm looking at the positives and the negatives. I was expecting Ferrari to have a difficult weekend. I felt that this was not going to be a circuit that would cater to its strengths ultimately as a package, but they did a lot of things to work around it. They obviously ran a lot less downforce. They obviously had tire issues that they were complaining about in practice. They seemed in some way to get on top of that. And they managed to get it on pole position. Charles Leclerc, very, very quick, didn't put together the best lap. I mean, I watched the replay of it and I didn't think it was that impressive. 
He got a great toe at the end, but even himself, he said it wasn't a good lap. He got it on pole nonetheless, so that's all that counts. He was able to keep it and start from pole this time. Of course, he wasn't the one causing the red flags and qualifying four of them. Crazy enough, all at turn 15. Madness. But um, yeah, you know, managed to do that. But as expected, Courtney, the Ferrari clearly struggles in a straight line compared to Red Bull and the Mercedes was easily gobbled up by Hamilton and the two Red Bulls. But it was a race that seemed for a while that it was going to get away from Ferrari. Obviously, Charles Leclerc doing the best that he could. The pit stops didn't really work out because he got put behind Gasly. And then, of course, Carlos Sainz making that error, going into turn eight and having to rejoin and fight his way back. But in the end, Courtney, Ferrari managed to, what was it they got in the end? It was a fourth place for Charles Leclerc, very nearly a podium, and P8 for Carlos Sainz. Now, I don't think that's a bad result. Even though they both started first and fifth, respectively, I think they expected to drop back. But the headline is for Ferrari, despite that, they are now ahead of McLaren in the Constructors' Championship. So I think when you sum it all up, that's the headline. That's what you need to focus on. Forget the fact that they lost pole and they lost a few places for both drivers. They're ahead of McLaren. And that should be their target for every race, to beat McLaren. Everything on top of that is a bonus. Yeah, I mean, as... If, if I was a Ferrari fan, I'd, I'd have mixed views. Um, obviously, if you support a team like Ferrari, you almost expect to be competing for world championships and wins on a regular basis. But for whatever reason, Ferrari have, have struggled in the past couple of seasons and it sometimes takes time to recover. And on the other side, on the flip side, I think Ferrari fans should be encouraged by the last couple of performances. You know, I think we're seeing proof that Ferrari actually have quite a decent car, but it's just the the engine power deficit that's really hurting them when you come to circuits like Baku. And I'd like that I I do like the change in mindset from the the management at Ferrari, sort of giving them giving Ferrari fans just to, the idea just just be patient. We will get back there. It might take a couple of years. And actually, the performances are backing up their words because they are the, the development of the car is in, in, in a good direction. So with next season coming along and the progress that is expected to be made with the engine, I think I think Ferrari could well be one of the dark horses, pun unintended, for next season. I'm looking at them. I've, I've probably said this so many times. But the two teams I'm really keeping an eye on for next season are Ferrari and McLaren because of their the development curve. They seem to be the two teams that are heading in the right direction and they're not distracted by this championship the way that Mercedes and Red Bull are. No, it's certainly taking the pressure off them in terms of the headlines. Of course, everyone expects Ferrari and McLaren uh, to be doing well. They hope they're going to be doing well. We certainly do, you know, not just for nostalgia purposes. These are the two biggest teams in the sport. So, you know, we should expect them to do well. It's like saying Real Madrid and Barcelona, they should be winning, competing for the top honours. And if they're not, then it's a concern. And it's no different here. But we are expecting that to change. Ferrari in particular, I've made a lot of changes in how things are being run at the moment. Matti Bonotto has taken a bit of a backseat to the team principal role and is very much involved in the technical area for next season, which I'm really happy to hear as a Ferrari fan, because that is the area he excelled at. Um, in Ferrari at the early stages of the turbo hybrid already helped bring them back to where they are. So he's very much involved in that. They've got a new race strategist. Um, I mean, I could go on about this kid, but his resume is very, very impressed. Um, so we'll save that for another discussion. But 
it seems that everything seems to be going right for Ferrari. They're making the right changes with the car. You know, what they've had to do with such limited resources and what they could do in terms of scope is impressive. The engine is still a little bit behind, but they are catching up to Honda and Mercedes. They certainly have made progress in that regard. So you're right, Courtney. There's a lot of things to be positive about with Ferrari. And at the moment, yes, they made a few mistakes today, but bigger picture. They got more points than McLaren. They're now ahead of him in the constructors. And if they keep that momentum going, there's no reason to believe why they won't finish best of the rest as they probably hope to. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. McLaren, by contrast, though, it could have been a worse day than it actually was. I think before the Verstappen incident, Norris was ninth and Ricardo was 11th. And it didn't look like that was going to change. If anything, it looked like Bottas might get Norris before the end of the race. Of course, that didn't happen. But in the end, Lando Norris, once again, seizing the opportunity, made up a few great overtakes at the start uh, of the restart, very, very nearly got ahead of Charles Leclerc, which would have been huge for McLaren. But he managed to get P5. And Ricardo also got in the points today, despite a very difficult qualifying. Would you say, despite losing third to Ferrari in the constructors for the first time this season, that McLaren will be relatively happy with how their day ended up? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the two drivers, I think, yeah, again, Lando Norris has done a really good job with the package that he has. But I'm really starting to worry about Daniel Ricciardo, I must say. He just doesn't seem to be. I, I don't think I've seen him struggle like this. Well, pretty much in his whole career, you know, even when he started off, it was was he with HRT? Yeah. Yeah, even when he's with HRT, he was putting in some decent performances, but he really seems to be just really out of sorts. You know, yes, finishing where he did today isn't the worst result in the world, but we're not seeing him challenging because he should be, like in terms of a talent, he should be in and around the same level as Lando. Let's not take anything away from him, from, from Lando. But it just seems that Dan Ricciardo's still struggling with his car. And I really expected him to do well in Monaco and Baku. And we haven't seen that bounce back yet that we all expected. You know, you don't want to be going into mid-season sort of struggling. What is a decent car? If it was a bad car, I'd understand it. But the McLaren is one of the best cars this season. So, mm. he's, you know, we, we, we've spoken about a couple, you know, a couple of teams hoping they could turn. I really hope Danny Ricciardo does because he's one of the most loved drivers in, in on the grid. He's an entertaining driver. He's, he's an entertaining character. And you want to be seeing people like this do well. So I really hope he can turn it around. But at this stage, it's not looking good for him. No, that crashing in uh, qualifying really didn't do him any favours. I mean, he said so often that he's having a harder time getting used to the car. He's trying loads of different things. And so far, it doesn't really seem to be working. Even Lando Norris, despite as good as he's been this season, has said he's had to adjust to the way he's driving because of the car. It amazes me because of how well he's doing. So I'm excited to see how good Lando can be when he's absolutely comfortable with the machinery that he has. I mean, given how well he's been. So this isn't something that I feel that McLaren are too worried about right now. I'm sure the only person that's really worried about this is Daniel Ricciardo because of obviously he doesn't want to be straggling the way he is. He wants to be up there with Lando fighting Ferrari and perhaps being a burden to Mercedes and Red Bull on occasion as Lando has been this season. So we've got to give it time. I don't think anyone feels that Daniel is not up to this. This is certainly a, a car that he should be in. He's certainly more than good enough. And hopefully sooner rather than later, we're going to see the best of Daniel Ricciardo. And even if this season turns out to be a bit of a bust for him, 
I'm expecting next season we're going to see the Daniel of old and the, the Daniel Ricciardo we all know. He's only 31. It's not like, you know, it's not like he's going out of, out of form and that's it. You know, he's going to have his golden years and be done with it. No, no, no. He's certainly got plenty to offer. If anything, like his Renault days showed how good he was in the second half of last season, I'm pretty sure we've got plenty to look forward to with Daniel Ricciardo. Um, just a quick note, of course, uh, also a very sad day for McLaren. Those of you inside the McLaren family would know this, but it was um, reported today that we lost Mansur Ojay who was a very, very involved shareholder at McLaren since 1984, very much an influential figure at the McLaren group. And a lot of drivers, including Lewis Hamilton, obviously paying tribute to the man. It's such a sad day for them in that regard. And we just want to express our condolences to all those that are feeling the loss today, his family, friends, and everyone at McLaren. Um, May he rest in peace and obviously, hopefully... Hopefully McLaren will be able to celebrate his success with the team and obviously have better days ahead to pay tribute to him. Let's move on to Alpine. Now, a very strange day for Alpine. Um, Esteban Ocon obviously didn't get much of the rub of the green today. He had to retire very early with issues with the gearbox he was reporting. So it's a shame for him because he'd been in such a rich vein of form, but obviously to no avail and perhaps who knows what he could have done today if he was involved. But... The headline has to be about Fernando Alonso Courtney, P6. And Fernando was been quick all weekend. So this is not a surprise at all for Fernando Alonso. But um, yeah, absolutely brilliant job from Fernando today. Um, what have you got to make of Fernando Alonso today, Courtney? Were you impressed by his performance? Could this, yeah, could this be the, the slightest shoots of recovery for Fernando Alonso? We've seen it with Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian Vettel's really made that that change in form in the past couple of races. I'm going to go on the hype train and say possibly this could be the start of a Fernando Alonso of old. Because actually, you know what I really want to be seeing? I want to be seeing plenty of battles between Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel. Because obviously, you know, in this sort of like 2010 to 2013 era, we've seen some great battles between them and Lewis. Unfortunately for... Sebastian and Alonso, Lewis's challenger up at the top. But for nostalgia purposes, I want to be seeing an informed Sebastian Vettel coming up against Fernando Alonso, and the results that they are encouraging. Yeah, no, it was a very good drive for Fernando. Um, very much under the radar, and a drive like this should have thought would have got more exposure. But Fernando was very much, um, you know, there was a time in the race, obviously, where he was struggling behind the likes of Bottas and the two McLarens. But once again, when the opportunity comes up, I was looking at the order and I just saw him in P6. I'm like, how the hell did Fernando end up in there? But Fernando, very much a wily old fox, very much an opportunistic driver, as we've seen in the past. Anyone that's watched Fernando in his Ferrari days and his Renault days will know exactly what I'm talking about. And yeah, great performance from him today. Again, he's always enjoyed Baku for different reasons. I, I very, very um, fondly remember a couple of years ago when he got caught, I think it was, Sorotkin in the Williams that hit him a few years ago and it caused him to end up having to bring it back to the pits on two tyres almost where one of them was sort of on, on edge and it was just so funny to watch but I thought I can't imagine anyone else bringing it back to the pits and unless it was Fernando it was a brilliant piece of driving and he was able to continue in the race um, but a great job from him today hopefully we'll see more of that from him I think Alpine will certainly be looking forward to and they kind of have to because despite the form Ocon has shown and the performance of Alonso today, 
Aston Martin and Alpine have gained a lot of ground and have now pulled away from them. So they really need to get in this fight with them two teams. Otherwise, they're going to get left behind. Yeah, and last season, we really benefited from a really tight midfield battle. And you want to be seeing that. So for Alpine, I think they need to be looking at their development curve. Problem is, we've said this so many times, with next season coming up, it's just we're gonna just gonna be interesting to see which teams start putting their main focus on 2022. And I feel that Alpine have been fairly vocal about that. Mm. So we might be we might see Alpine tail off before some of the other midfield teams. Yeah, absolutely. So it's certainly gonna be very interesting. But Alpine obviously today, whilst they'll be enjoying that P6 for Fernando Alonso. It's almost a bit bittersweet when you see Aston Martin and AlphaTauri both getting on the podium today in such dramatic fashion. So it certainly bodes well for this battle between those three teams in that part of the midfield. Um, let's move to Alfa Romeo. Quick summary on them. Now, again, Alfa Romeo don't get a lot of camera time on a Sunday. It must be said. I think the most I saw of them was when Giovinazzi was having a battle with Carlos Sainz. I think it was for 12th and 13th at the time. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, brilliant driving between him, Giovinazzi and Carlos Sainz, obviously Sainz getting that move done at turn four. But once again, Alfa Romeo out of nowhere managed to score another point, but this time it was Kimi Raikkonen. who managed to get in 10th and I've got to look this up. If anyone knows, please do let me know. But, Alfa Romeo finished 10th and 11th again. How often do they seem to be on the on the front end of the teams that don't finish in the points? They seem to love 11th place. I'll have to have a look at how many times they have. But yeah, it's just, there always seems to be there or thereabouts. And I think given the clear deficit that they have to the rest of the teams in the midfield, I mean, they're clear ahead of Williams and Haas, but they do seem to pick up points when the opportunity arises. So it's good for them, but... At best, it's probably going to get them eighth place in this championship at the moment, Colt. Yeah, I mean, you look at the dynamic there, like particularly Giovinazzi. I think Giovinazzi's probably had his most solid season in Formula One. Mm. It's just the team are so under the radar, given their general position, that it's kind of going unnoticed. Which is obviously a shame for Giovinazzi, but yeah, I, I, I think it's worth mentioning. Because, because Alfa Romeo are such a forgotten entity this season. The Giovinazzi's performances are also going forgotten as well. Yeah, no, they are. But they should be noted. I mean, qualifying Giovinazzi's been very good as well. He's currently leading that battle with Raikkonen 4-2. Um, and and look, I'm looking at the list right now that of the drivers that, you know, winning and qualifying. You've got Russell, obviously, unbeaten against Latifi. Gasly, the same with Sonoda. Verstappen beating Perez. Schumacher, Mazepin. Leclerc over Sainz. Ocon, Alonso. But Giovinazzi ahead of Raikkonen. That is something I didn't expect to see this season. And Giovinazzi is driving really, really well. So... It should be noted, and there will be a lot of pressure of him for next season to keep that seat. But right now, he's doing a lot of good things. Not getting a point today, um, Kimmy, this time around. But it must be said, doing a relatively good job. So, yeah, I think Alfa Romeo will be pretty happy with that under the circumstances. Um, we should go back to Williams briefly on this one. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what there is to say too much on them, but it, it's been difficult for them. They ended up finishing last of all the classified runners with the exception of Verstappen. Obviously, Russell finishing 17th as well with his issue. Nicholas Latifi, 16th. Uh, I mean, what more can we say about Williams? It just seems to be, hopefully they can just get through this painful period and next year will be better for them. I mean, it has to be better for them, doesn't it? Well, yeah, because 
they were they were showing signs of a recovery. Like they had a decent start to the season, but it just seems since that big crash between um, Russell and uh, Bottas in Imola, they've just gone right downhill. Obviously, there isn't a a complete sort of connection between the two, but that's when it became noticeable because we saw George Russell challenging the Mercedes. So yeah, the Williams had some kind of pace at that point. Whether they have massive plans for next season, maybe they are the first of the, the lower teams to tail off and think about next season. But it's a shame because, you know, you've got a driver like Nicholas Latifi that's potentially fighting for his career in Formula One and he can't do anything because the car is poor. It's gone down to... The Williams con kind of gone back back to the point where they have to be looking over their shoulder at Haas. I, I do think Haas would get near anyone, but but Williams need to be careful they don't finish dead last again. Well, Haas are getting the results today. You know, that, that that's what counts. You know, there could be a day where Haas will pick up the results. Um, I'm, I'm just looking at the Constructors' Championship. I think Williams, are they still ahead? No, they're not. Haas are actually ahead of them oh, now. That wow. I think uh, it might be today, actually, where because of the result for Mick Schumacher, where he finished. Yeah, so Mick Schumacher finished 13th today. So that may be the difference, really, where Williams are not being able. I might be wrong on that one because I think Latifi had a good performance somewhere. I can't remember where it was. But with Mick Schumacher's performance today, finishing 13th and you know, we're going to talk about Hassan in a minute. That could be the difference for Williams. They can't afford to finish behind a team that have not really developed their car at all. No, um, and one of the drivers has been awful. Yeah, and even he finished in 14th today. So, but yeah, I I don't know what to say, really. I mean, I sympathise with Williams fans. I really, really do. Because like Ferrari fans and McLaren fans, obviously you guys have known better days where you're fighting at the front. And you, you've got so many good people working at that team. You've got great facilities. There's absolutely no reason why Williams should be at the back of the field the way they are. But the reality is that they are. And hopefully they'll be able to dig themselves out of this hole. I mean, we started the turbo hybrid era in 2014 with Williams having the second best car to Mercedes and at some circuits were able to potentially win races. Now they're at the second worst and there are days where they're even performing. And right now they are staring down the barrel at the moment. You don't find it a little bit worrying though, because if it doesn't matter how big your team is, if you keep on finishing at the bottom, you're going to start struggling for funding. And mm-hmm. nobody wants to see a massive name like Williams go out of Formula One. No, of course not. And that would be a travesty. And I think to Capital are in this for the long haul. I think they knew exactly what they were getting themselves into. 2022 is going to prove to be a huge reset for a lot of teams, but I feel none more critically than Williams. You know, that this is the best opportunity that they've had in the best part of... 12, 13 years to really hit the reset button and go jump to the front of the field as they did in 2009. You know, very innovative with that triple dif- uh, triple diffuser design that Suzuki Nakajima and, and Nico Rosberg enjoyed. So it, hopefully it bodes well for them, for at least for Russell and Latifi. Of course, we'll have to find out if that's going to be the case next season. But Williams definitely need something, something significant to take them where we feel they should be. Hopefully, this is only temporary for them. Um, and last but certainly not least today, Huss. A few reasons to celebrate. One, they're obviously ninth in the Constructors' Championship ahead of Williams, which I don't think anyone expected that to happen, but that's reality. Um, 13th for 14th for Schumacher and Mazepin. But more critically, both drivers can now say that they beat Lewis Hamilton in a Grand Prix race in a Mercedes. So 
I'm sorry, Hamilton fans. Wow. That wow. is the truth. <laughs> Not just Mick Schumacher, but Nikita Mazepin can now say he's beaten Lewis Hamilton in a Formula One race in the slowest car on in the turbo hybrid well not the slowest car in the turbo hybrid era but the slowest one this season i mean i mean that that's a headline in its own right <laughs> i have no words i have no words but uh, i mean it ultimately it doesn't it doesn't mean much it's like a it's like a petty um it's like a petty brag i suppose i don't think mazepin's <laughs> going to be flexing anytime soon saying i, oh, I beat lewis hamilton or something I'm sure some, my brother would probably say something stupid like, oh, Mazepin's better than Hamilton now or something because he beat him at Baku or whatever, you know. But no, it, it is what it is. It will go down in the history books. It's not really relevant, but, you know, any flex is a flex for Haas at the moment. One interesting moment that happened at the end of the race is that Mick Schumacher had overtaken Mazepin. He outdragged him to the line. But I don't know if you see this, Courtney, but Mazepin moved very, very late to try and block Schumacher off and almost put him into the wall. Mick was not the happiest of pers- people in the cockpit on the radio. So I had a lot of things to say about Mazepin. I'm sure, you know, they'll have a talking to Mazepin, but yeah, I, I, I don't want to highlight this moment for Mazepin because I think you'll be happy with 14th, but you can't be doing that, let alone to your own teammate. Uh, it, it was bound to happen at some point, wasn't it? And it's 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 almost boring to do like a Nikita Mazepin report, isn't it? It's like, oh, what's he done now? Yeah, so you can't be doing that. Like, come on, it's your teammate. You can't be doing that. I don't know. I just find it odd. But look, I, I just mentioned that because that was something I saw after the race. Because obviously Schumacher finished ahead, but I didn't pay attention to it. But then I saw that he'd beaten into the line, similar to when Bottas outdragged Stroll to the line in 2017. It was a bit similar to that, but of course. That was a bit dangerous for Mazepin. I'm sure they'll just talk to him and say, look, be mindful of in general, but that's also your teammate as well. Um, but yeah, that, that's pretty much everything covered for this race. Courtney, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add to the discussion before we sign off. I think we've had plenty to say. I hope we've covered everything. I certainly feel like we have. Yeah, there's certainly lots to talk about. I mean, we could have talked about the events of the race at the front for the whole episode, but I know you guys obviously don't want us to do that. You want us to focus on everyone else as well. Um, no race next weekend. We're going to be going to the French Grand Prix on the 20th of June. So, but there will be an episode on Friday as always guys. So for those of you who haven't already, please make sure to like the video. If you've enjoyed it, please consider to subscribe to the channel. We're so close to 400 now getting ever closer. Please help us get there. And of course, those of you that have downloaded or listened to our podcast on other major podcasting platforms, thank you so much for doing so. It's getting more and more traction and it's thanks to you guys that we're doing that. So we really, really appreciate it. But until then, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Please stay safe and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. See you soon. Podcast Network. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 
Auto Parts. <laughs>